Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We um, welcome those who are joining online as well. And we are thrilled to have our online church here with us. So welcome. Let me just get this set up here. I realize it's been adjusted, so not adjusted to this. I don't want to lose it. There we go. Would you go with me in your Bibles, please? We're going to go to Psalms 133. Psalms 133. I have a question as we start the day off here. And the question for you uh, here in the house, obviously this doesn't relate necessarily to those online right now. How many here have been followers of Jesus? You've committed your life to Jesus for more than 20 years. Okay, can you just, more than 20, just hold up for a second, okay. Um, How many, it's been less than maybe five years, less than five years, you're a follower of Jesus, less than five years. Okay, some, not that many, thank you. Okay, great. Uh, and maybe there's even seekers here this morning, those who are just you know, searching you, you maybe haven't made that decision, and you certainly that's, uh, we understand that, and we, we recognize that. Of those who raised their hands at any part there, how many felt that you were adequately, and, and I know that can be a, a fluid term, you were adequately discipled, meaning there was somebody who took time as a, a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad. Now, when I say spiritual, it doesn't have to be your mom or dad. It could have been your mom or dad. But a spiritual mom or dad. Somebody who really invested time in your spiritual life. Invested some significant time in your spiritual life. More than one or, or at least one. How many felt you had that? Would you raise your hand? Praise God. And I'm going to suggest it's some of the reason that you're here today. <laughs> You're here because somebody invested that extra, extra in your life. If the audience this morning were an audience of an unchurched audience, it was, or maybe an audience that was at a, uh, you know, a concert or in a different venue than a local church, I'm going to hazard a guess that there would not be that ratio of those saying, yeah, I was, there was somebody who really took me under their wing, somebody who really invested spiritually in me, who who connected with me, walked through the issues of the faith with me, made that extra investment in my life. Uh, Because oftentimes they're not in the church. Statistics would tell us that 60 to 90%, it's very very open, we're hard to pin that one down, 60 to 90% left the church because they weren't discipled. They weren't discipled. Discipling, by the way, can I just say this? Discipling can't take place Sunday morning in the venue like this. Teaching takes place. Some ministry takes place. A sense of unity and collective worship takes place. That all takes place on a Sunday morning. But discipleship can't happen on a Sunday morning. I mean, just, just look at it. You're, you're, you're looking at somebody's back and you're looking at you know, the back of your head to the back. Discipleship requires there to be interaction And the interaction has to do with listening, understanding, asking questions, growing together. It has to do with with investing in someone else's life. Walking through and challenging areas in that person's life. And it can't happen on a Sunday morning. 
just doesn't. Teaching happens. Worship, general communion works, but not, not discipleship. And yet it's the discipleship that will carry you frequently through to solid faith and a foundation as you grow in later in life. So we're in a bit of a dilemma as a people, as a churches, when it comes to being able to grow and uh, be all that God has called us to be if we miss the element of discipleship. It's very significant. And we are in a series, uh, it's just a two-part series, uh, last week and this week, and it's really about discipleship. I've been calling this, the series Spiritual Moms and Dads, is what I've been calling the series. And I'm going to just back it up. Before we read Psalms 133, I want to just take you to last week, because today won't make a lot of sense if we don't understand the foundation that was laid last week. I'm going to go back, I'm going to do it as, as quick as possible, but there's about five things that really are a biblical principle to establish what discipleship should be and should look like. It goes back, and our theme text was found in Malachi. And it's the last two verses of Malachi, two or three verses of the, of the Old Testament. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and verse 6, talks about, in verse 6 it says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. That's discipleship. He will, he will bring generation that will impact another generation. Now, it can be your biological dad. It can be your biological. And by the way, I'm going to say, when I mention father here, it's not meant to be just men. It's meant the fatherhood. Just as we pray heavenly father, we don't pray heavenly mother. It's, it's the it, we recognize that this is a spirit. That's why I've called it spiritual moms and dads. It's a spiritual parent, the mature, who disciples the younger. Not in age, but in faith, who disciples the young. So you can actually be younger in age and be discipling somebody older in age. It doesn't have to do with age. It has to do with the maturity of your faith. And you've reached out and you begin to nurture someone in the faith. Really, nurture is a good word. I like the word nurture. And you begin to nurture somebody in the faith. And so Malachi... He said, in the last days, the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children, and the children turn to the father. And if it doesn't happen, he says, or you will be cursed. Now, he's not casting a curse. The curse is the repercussions if you don't do this. And the curse is, and picture a land. If, if picture a farmland, a field. Now, a curse on a field is the field won't produce what it was meant to produce. Therefore, the field is, is not blessed the field needs to produce fruit or whatever it's producing. And if it doesn't produce its fullness, it's, it's, not, it's not living up to its potential. That's what he's saying. And then he refers back to Elijah. Now, Elijah was dead. Elijah was a prophet, a great prophet in the Old Testament. You can read all about him in 1 Kings chapter 19, before and after. Elijah was a prophet who learned by his own life Times of what it was like to go it alone, and then times of what it was like to disciple others. Early into Elijah's ministry, you see him after a tremendous victory on Mount Carmel. Some of you may know the story on Mount Carmel is where he called fire down from heaven and it burned up the sacrifice, burned up the sacrifice of the Baal prophets. 
And then he went into a desert. And before he walked into that desert and would spend days in the desert, he had somebody with him, but he told the person to stay back. And the person didn't go into the desert with him. Biggest mistake he ever made. Beloved in Christ, the biggest mistakes we make is when we try to do the faith things alone. We were meant to be in unity, in community, discipling one another. We were meant. And as sometimes, and some of you are here going, oh, I'm introvert. I don't like being around people a whole lot. <laughs> okay? And I remember at the beginning, of, even at the beginning of the pandemic, a year, almost two years ago, so the introverts were going, yes. But the introverts aren't typically going yes anymore because we were made to have community at different levels. But community nonetheless. We were made to interact with people. It's a part of our DNA. It's part of family. It's the big family picture. And so we're suffering in many ways by a lack of that in society right now. But Elijah was suffering that when he chose to go it alone into the desert without his servant. And he got so depressed there, he almost took his own life. If it weren't for the intervention of God who encouraged him. And Elijah, in that place of despair and, and depression, was saying, there's nobody out there. There's no Christians out there for me. And God says, there's thousands of them. There's thousands of them. He didn't say this, but the enemy of our soul would keep us apart. See, our strength is when we can grow from one another. Our strength is when we, I have something to give you, and you have something to give someone else. And you got to get actively involved in the giving of that and watch God perform the miracles. In that, you make disciples. So Malachi 4 is about turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. It's about relinking spiritual fatherhood back to a generation that needs a dad. Here's the reason this was being spoken. Because there was a generation, there was an identity crisis taking place. Two things happen in an identity crisis. Number one, there's oppression. When there are not spiritual dads and mums in your life, you will suffer oppression and you will suffer identity crisis. You will suffer oppression. In other words, you don't know where you fit in. Something about our spiritual parents, our parents, help us to figure out where we fit into life. But when we lack that, and those with an orphan background, those with, and I don't mean you simply are born orphan, I mean you've not got a spiritual mom or dad, then often you really struggle with knowing where you fit in. What am I supposed to do? What's the purpose in life? Why don't I feel like I'm accomplishing anything? What's happening? Oppression. When there's not spiritual moms and dads, there's oppression. Runs rampant. Secondly, you don't know your identity. You see, identity is passed down by a parent. So you carry the name. You carry an identity. And this was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 4. In Isaiah chapter 3, verse 6, he talks about people will seize their sibling. They will seize a sibling. They will grab their arm and say, will you be my dad? They don't know where to look for a dad. And then in chapter 4 of Isaiah, verse 1, it says seven women will take hold of one man and they will say, would you give us your name? Would you give us your name? Because we don't know where we fit in. Give us a heritage. Give us your name. We need to be identified. So the, the, the results of a lack of spiritual moms and dads is oppression, 
aimlessness, and so therefore, go through life and get well into life, and it feels like you've accomplished hardly anything. Or, you just, you go after false identities. And some of the false identities are, you will, I've mentioned here, you will go after peers. You will go after the images. Now, I want to just sit on that. I didn't talk about this last week, and I, but I, I think it's important. You will go after the image of a father. And images can't help you. We are saturated with an image world right now. A lot of images. A millimeter deep, and that's as far as it goes. And people are striving to be like that which they witness in an image, but an image is not real. It requires flesh and blood. It requires real people. An image is an image. An image can't help. And so there's the seeking after of images to be identified under the image. So the images are, if they dress right, if they talk right, if they act the way you think, and then you say, I want you to be my dad. And so we chase after an image, but the image doesn't probably even know we exist. We pursue images. And thus, a curse. Fruitfulness evades us. Kind of a big problem, and I don't want to leave you in despair because there's answers to all this. There really is. The answers really started in Malachi where he says he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and daughters, the hearts of the children back to the fathers. And part of this has to do with, uh, we see the example of Jesus. Jesus, when he came up out of the waters of baptism, the Father in heaven spoke to him and says, you are my son whom I love and am well pleased and Jesus was released into public ministry and fruit, fruit fell from the trees in his ministry. When Jesus came up out of the desert a few days later and he went back into the synagogue, he was about 30 years of age and the leaders of the synagogue were astounded, the Bible says, because he spoke as one who had authority. What was his authority? He had been just released by his dad. He walked under the, under the blessing and identity of the release. Until the father releases, the son does not have full ministry. Until a, parent, until a spiritual parent releases you, you do not flow in full ministry. You will grapple and you will seek others. Can I follow you? Can I follow you? Can I follow you? And Jesus was a picture. And Jesus, you see Jesus at the age of 12 being a son. He's in the temple. Parents took off. They didn't know where Jesus was. They came back. And it said Jesus was listening to the leaders. He was clarifying what they were saying. He was deep in understanding. He could discern. And it says he was answering them. Four things it mentioned about Jesus when he was in the temple. What was that? Sonship. You see, sonship. And I closed with the part where sons need to submit to the fathers. Fathers can. So hearts of the fathers, it starts with, starts with us in the faith to seek ways to reach out to others. It doesn't have to be people younger than yourself. It's people who are in the faith. To reach out and to develop a relationship with those in the faith, ongoing relationship. And it's, it can be scary at first, but it can be also extremely deeply rewarding. And I, I observe that God will bless the steps to make them very, I call them biotic. They just naturally begin to take place. They come into natural means. And so the sons have to submit. They have to become vulnerable. And the Old Testament principle was they enter into a covenant with the Father. And the covenant with the Father, word covenant means cut. It comes from the word circumcision. 
And so the sons have to allow the dads to circumcise them. I know it's a bad picture, but just get past that picture right there. Have, circumcise means cut the flesh off. And in the spiritual, it means we have a lot of flesh that God's got to go. There's a lot of stuff that's not godly. And a spiritual father, I surrender and allow him to cut that off of me. If all I ever seek is blessing, I'll not grow to be what I've been called to be. I have to allow him to, to say, Wayne, you got anger issues, and we've got to deal with those. You've got to allow a dad to say that. You've got to allow a dad to say, you've got attitude problems. <laughs> you've got to have a dad to say, hey, listen, you're spending too much time doing this, and that is sucking up your faith. I'm going to call you over. Let's do this over here. And you cut off the flesh. No one likes flesh cut off. You know, I imagine every baby that circumcised cried. I'm going to hazard a guess. They didn't, you know, smile through the whole procedure. And when there is that in the faith, often there's a running from it. And I grabbed this from one of the sources. I was looking at the whole discipleship thing, and I really like what this, and I said this last week. I'm going to say it again the way it is. I can't, I can't improve. The person's talking about that it's important as sons, when you're being discipled, don't run. Stop running. And here's what they said. Some will flinch when they first feel the pain of the flesh being removed, and they will run away. Bleeding, they feel wounded instead of honored to be their son. They become offended by the attempt to remove their flesh. Some will abandon a father's house and accuse him of abuse that never occurred. Sadly, they will go from one father's house to another father's house, hopping typically from one fellowship to another fellowship, leaving a trail of blood behind. They will cry out over their wounding until someone listens and refuses to cut them as a son. In other words, they can just sit there and enjoy it. Refuses to cut them as a son. They seek to escape pain. But in so doing, miss out on their purpose and identity in God. And in refusing to have their flesh cut off, they become cut off from the potential of kingdom business. I couldn't have said that one better. That just like, ah. So Psalms 133. Psalms 133 talks a bit about this. And today I'm talking about the Father's garment. Let's read it. Psalms 133. Can we read it together? Is it up here? Let's read it with one voice. Everybody together, I want to hear you with me. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as the dew of Hermon falling where Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings even life forevermore. Garments in Scripture are a picture of the vehicle of passing on the blessing. If you go back to Exodus 29, and again, we're talking here of Aaron. Psalms 133 is talking about the precious oil. Uh, another translation, precious anointing, the blessings that pour upon his head. You see Aaron who was, now Aaron was the first uh, high priest that had been selected by God to lead people in the things of worship. And Aaron, back in Exodus 29, 7, I'm not going to take the time, but he was personally anointed by oil and oil had been poured over his head. 
So I want you to picture that. Now, we have to get out of our mind. If you've been anointed with oil where there's just been a dab of oil, you know, kind of as a symbol, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like a jar of oil, you know, blah, 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 you know, all down, right? We're talking some serious oil, you know, like a liter probably. I don't know. It was a lot of oil because it, it not only flowed down, it soaked everything. It, it soaked the beard and it would soak the priestly robe. It would soak the robe. Like the robe would drip from the oil. So we're talking some serious oil. He was anointed that way. But here's the interesting part. When his sons would take on the next generation, they were not anointed in oil. And yet they were anointed. The difference between Aaron and every generation that followed is the next generation would receive the robe, the garment of the generation before. So Aaron received it, you know, blah, 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 all down, flowed down. Psalms 133. But the generation that followed after received what was in the robe. So Aaron took, when Aaron gave the anointing to his sons, he took the robe off and gave the robe to the sons. Put the robe on. The anointing was in the garment. And the picture here is a picture of the flow of anointing. The flow. And I want to pull this in. Remember, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. So it talks about the flow. The flow of where God will pour out his spirit. If you break the flow, you will not get the results. And the enemy knows this. And he breaks the flow. So we got to get the flow back. So the flow that flows down, if again, the flow flows down, there is a generational connection with regard to ministry effectiveness. Garments were made to contain the anointing while covering the flesh. They serve as containers that hold the inheritance that will get passed down to another generation. So what happens is too often we have been so busy living in single generational pursuits. It is wrong to have a church that is only one generation. A church needs to be multi-generational. Because if it's one generation, it then will lose its effectiveness because there's been nothing passed on to it. And they will then, as they grow older, will they pass that mantle to the next generation. Because the effectiveness, what happens is the effectiveness of ministry is lost when you have to, you, you heard the expression, you have to reinvent the wheel all over again. And so when a person does not have a spiritual dad investing in their life, a spiritual mom investing in their life, then they cannot carry that blessing into their life, grow bigger, stronger, more fruitful, and then pass that on to another life where they grow bigger. What happens is, is it's cut off, severed, the enemy severs it, so they have to start all over again. They grind it out, make all the same mistakes that could have been averted here because there was a passing down, but it didn't. The, there was a severance there. And there was a disconnection. See how that falls. And so it takes place. And so what happens, there are single generational pursuits. And at the end of their life, there's small fruitfulness. Very little fruitfulness. Because you couldn't carry it down from a generation before you. Uh, therefore, each new generation is like another genesis of impartation. Have to start again. Have to start. We never live long enough to see the results for a second and third generation. Because it gets severed. And this is why we need spiritual moms and dads in the body of Christ. That's why it's imperative. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. 
and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Or else, there can be no generational fruit. We saw this in the life of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah learned after the desert experience that he needed sons in the faith. And so he had sons in the faith. They were called sons of the prophets. There were many of them. And as you read through the life of Elijah, a number of them. But he, he had a tendency to keep telling them to stay back. Stay back. And as you read, he would say, you stay in Bethel, or you stay in Gilgal, or you stay in Jericho. He was always telling them to stay back, stay back. But he had this one in particular. His name was Elisha, who refused to stay back. He refused to not be under the mantle of his Elijah. He pursued his Elijah. Insomuch that when they got to the Jordan River and all the other prophets stayed back, Elisha followed him across the Jordan River. Some of you know the story. And that was in the great story where he's caught up into heaven in fire. But just before he goes, he passes it on to Elisha. And what did he do to Elisha? He didn't anoint the top of his head with oil. He didn't, he didn't you know, lay hands on him. What did he do? He gave him his garment, the father's garment. And before Elisha put it on, Elisha took his own single-generation garment, rent it, put on his spiritual dad's garment, and... That garment had been anointed. The smell would have still been there. The anointing was upon it. Now, the Bible says he he'd asked for double blessing. Now, Elijah plus Elisha, blessing. Another generation. And his impact staggered the nations at that time. It's the second generation. It's the flow of a father, a mother garment to the generation that follows. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 20 talks about how we don't need to pray for anointing. We already have anointing. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And then down in verse 27, it says, remain in him. So as followers of Christ, the anointing comes from Christ, our Lord. He is the anointing. What we must do, though, so therefore we're not asking, we need to contain the anointing. And we need to, in the anointing, we need to share the anointing. Be a part of other people's lives. In making an imprint. So I'm going to suggest, just how, so practically, how do we do that? One of the greatest ways of doing it is involvement in body, in church body ministry. Just get involved. And as I said earlier, outside of Sunday morning, there are opportunities to grow in involvement. And I look back over the years of ministry, and many ministries that were started, started because certain people came up and said, there is a need. I want to be a part of meeting that need. How can we do this? And a ministry began to flow out of that. And I look back, a number of ministries, uh, ministries, we had a feeding ministry that feeds poor people in the community. And out of the feeding ministry that a few years ago, uh, it started with a few people coming up and said, there are some people that are hungry and I want to make a difference in their life. Um, can we get together and we're just going to believe God? We're going we're to be the answer to the problem. And they began to... Out of that, one, two, three, four, gathered, more gathered, more gathered, and years later, ministry is effectively winning souls into the kingdom uh, every year. But it started with those coming and saying, there's a need. How can we help? And so there's that place where there's, so children's ministry, there's youth ministry, there's adult, there's connecting in a group in midweek where you actually connect and you begin to grow together. 
you begin to ask questions. You begin to nurture one another in the faith. And spiritual fathers begin to meticulously, intentionally, begin to pour down into the lives of those that are near them. And they begin to receive. The power of the anointing is based on the direction of its flow. And when we come to this passage of Scripture, it talks about how it flows down. We even go to Luke chapter 24, 29, where Jesus said to his disciples, just before he went to heaven, he says, you need to go and stay in the city until you're clothed with power. Get the picture of this clothing again. Clothed with power from on high. So let's go to Psalms 133. Psalms 133, verse 3. It says, It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. How many have been to Israel? I know there's been a few here to Israel. Okay, you've been to Israel? Remember seeing Mount Hermon? Um, if you're a tour guide, it was at the northern part. And you can see Mount Hermon from miles away. It's the biggest, easily the biggest mountain anywhere in that region. Mount Hermon is 9,232 feet above sea level. So at times of the years, it'll have snow on the top, other times it may not. And there, the, the picture here, uh, let me go to it again. Uh, let me just go to our text. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's head, down on the collar of his robe. Then he switches over, verse 3, He's talking, again, he's talking about the precious oil. He's talking about the flow. Verse 3, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. So, the, it's as if the dew of Hermon. Well, the dew of Hermon, the picture of the dew of Hermon, 9,232 9, feet above sea level. The dew is largely the snow is what flows off that mountain. It's not because it's getting a lot of rain. It's the, it's the accumulation of dew and, and snow at the top that flows down off the mountain. Now, here's the question. Is the greatest flow taking place at the top of the mountain or at the bottom of the mountain? It's going to be at the bottom. Starts at the top, picks up momentum coming down, 9,000 feet. Now, it won't be quite 9,000 feet because it, it's above sea level there, but coming down 9,000 feet. And when it hits the bottom, that's where the Jordan River starts. And the Jordan River's at its mightiest flow at the bottom of Mount Hermon. So powerful is that flow that that river has to flow for 127 miles and it stops at the Dead Sea. It has to power off 127 miles worth. And so the picture what the psalmist is saying He's talking about the flow of the ministry, the discipleship flow, the flow of the anointing, that it increases as it goes down. Now, picture this. Remember the garments? He uses both analogies here, the garments. Aaron received the blessing when he had oil poured on his head, but when he passed the garments to the next generation, greater was the flow in the next generation because it was passed on. And when that generation effectively passes it on to another generation, greater is the flow that passes on to the next generation. The power of the flow is downward. The power of the flow. Thus, when you see Aaron, when he was anointed here, but he, he talks in detail, it went down onto his beard. And then it flowed and it increased as it went down. So you get stories in the, old, in the New Testament when people would be healed. 
when they touched the garment, it was believed that the hem of the garment had the greatest anointing. So if you remember the woman with the issue of blood, she reached out and she touched the hem and instantly was healed. Because the greatest anointing flows down and it is contained in the hem. It's a picture. Again, these are pictures. So the picture is in the body of Christ from the spiritual moms and dads who invest, intentionally invest in others' lives. Greater will be the flow in the next generation. Or, or, the other option. Either this generation refuses to receive it or this generation refuses to give it and invest in it. It's cut off. And then this generation struggles to find their identity to start again. But when the flows down and it continues, when we disciple, and that's what Jesus was dealing with, he would disciple the next generation. And out of that, they would disciple the next generation. And ministry multiplied because you carried the flow down into the next generation that you discipled. And it would flow to the generation that followed. I want you to note where it says in verse 2, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. The anointing flows from head to beard. Beard represents maturity. Beard flows down onto the garments, onto the next generation. On the collar, the priest would carry the 12 tribes, the names of the 12 tribes, and so the flow would carry the people's hearts to the next generation. If you were to go into my office, I have a picture on the first table you would come to. And many people, it's a picture of four of us. Uh, Lori and myself is in the picture. And many think that the older couple in the picture are moms and dad. And it's, and it's not that we wouldn't have their picture. But the reason I have the picture, the picture is a picture of uh, Lori, myself, and Jack and Anna Hayford. Now, Jack and Anna Hayford are pastors. Uh, she has since gone to be with the Lord. Jack is well up now in his 80s. Uh, and I, I'm not even sure if, Lori, if, if we were to see Jack today, he would even recognize me. Because he has been a pastor over pastor over pastors, over denominations and stuff. He was head of the Foursquare Church for years, a musician, a songwriter, an author, uh, pastor of churches. He's been... Uh, uh, author of many books. Uh, I've got a whole shelf full of his stuff. But early into ministry, we were exposed to him. And immediately, I felt like a son to a father. And I'm sure I'm one of probably a million of son to the father, what he was imparting. And I began to receive all the stuff that was being passed down. I mean, I picked up when he was in the area. I'd go to meetings where he was at. And then it came a point in time where he offered what he called a school of pastoral nurture where we could go with just 40 of us in a room and he'd spend a week with us. And so he spent all day long with us. And I went multiple years to that. And we would just sit, we would talk, we would talk about worship, we would talk about family, we would talk about church life, we would talk about church discipline, we would talk about hang-ups and, and all that stuff. He was, up, he was imparting, he was up already in his 70s at this time. He was focusing on a generation that would come, he would disciple the generation. His last time together, Lori and I, we both were part of that session. And Anna and him were uh, teaching. And it was the last few minutes. 
And he wanted to finish it off. He says, you've, you've, to the class, you've, you've traveled with me for years. I mean, we would go to his place. We would have meals at his place. We would go up into his study where he writes his books, where he was chief editor of two different um, uh, translations of the Bible. Uh, he would, so he, we, called it, we called it the upper room. When you went into the upper room, you walked up that stairway, you saw him with presidents on pictures of it on the side, and you're just going, <gasps> you know? And to be a part of that, to eat, to be a part, we went to a, a live theater together. What he did is he wanted to do more than teach. Because Paul the Apostle said, when he spoke in Corinthians, he says, when people began to say, listen, I'm following this church. I'm following Apollos' church. I'm following Paul's church. I'm following the church of Christ. And Paul straightened them all up and he says, guys, stop it. <laughs> he says, you have 10,000 guardians. Guardians mean 10,000 boy instructors. It means you have 10,000 servants. The picture here is you have servants that are hired to send you off to school. Or nannies that are hired to put your lunch together and send you off. You have, you have all kinds of them. They can teach you things about life. But what you all lack is a father. He says, I am a father to you. And you would look at the life of Paul and study the life of Paul. Paul, watch a good example of a father. Continuing to come back. He didn't just teach. He invested into the lives of the people. And Paul says, until you become a spiritual father. You cannot inherit the full identity of sonship. And so we were really experiencing that when we were at that point in juncture in our lives as ministry back here. I'm going to say probably almost 15 years ago. When we were with, uh, on the last day with uh, Jack Hayford. And what he did, he says, you've been traveling, you've been trekking with me for a while. He said, it's time, it's time to release the anointing. And, and the father anointing to you. And there's a picture, we're going to put a picture up here. And so in this picture... Uh, was him doing that, him and Anna. And it was so humbling. It was so humbling. Lori and I, you know, we were just like, you know, he, he said, take off your shoes. He's <laughs> like, no, kind of embarrassed. Take off your socks and come. And what he's doing, he's, he's kneeling and he's pouring on oil. And, and Anna's putting oil on the top of us. <laughs> should have been the other way around. Jack's like six foot three. You know, he should have been reaching the top of us. And Anna's like five foot one. You know, she's, but she's putting oil up here. He's, he's putting on our feet. But here's the symbolism. It's the symbolism. Symbolism. As a father to a son. Go. And grow with the anointing you've received. Because I've invested in you. He invested years. We went back for years. I've invested years in you. We'd stay the entire week. Five days we'd be there, or four days we'd be there. Every day going in and sitting and spending time. Out of that, now, out of that, the last day. You see, those that only went one year wouldn't get this. Those that only went two years never got it. It was the journey. And then in that last point was, now go in the anointing. The anointing, remember, flows down. Flows down the garments. Flows down Mount Hermon flows down Aaron's beard onto his garments, onto the next generation, flows down. As we close our time talking about this, this uh, the discipleship, I really think God, stir the hearts. Paul would say in 1 Timothy, to fan into flame the hearts. Stir the hearts. And that fan into flame actually is a picture of, if, I don't know if you have a fireplace. I don't, no, don't mean a gas fireplace or an electric fireplace. But if you have like a fireplace with real logs and 
in order, what do you do when you stir up the fireplace? You have to rearrange the logs. You have to stir them up because they, the fire's going down. You stir them up and the fire catches again. That's the picture of when he says fan into flame. Get the fire. Reposition the logs. And so here's the picture in the church. Let's reposition the logs. <laughs> I guess I'm a log, aren't I? Yeah. Reposition the logs so that the fire can be stirred up. So that, so that impartation flows from generation to generation. The investment of another generation. Some of you here, you need investment. I'm going to suggest many. Then we need to cut out, slice out times in our life to go beyond a Sunday morning to places where there is teaching, there is growing and interaction. And out of this, my, and people who I personally discipled over life, majority of them chased me down. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting you come to me for discipleship. But they were people who, who were saying, we recognize that in order to be what we feel we need to be, we have to be discipled. And so we're investing outside of normal time, extracurricular time, in order for discipleship. Or we will try to stir it up within ourselves. And typically, it produces a not very productive generation. So as we close, we want to pray. I want to pray. That we would, God would just stir hearts here today of a new generation that will just, us, you start right here, and those who are joining online, that we would examine our hearts. God, who can I begin to actively now just to get involved? And sometimes it starts with a group. Sometimes it might be with children's ministry, youth ministry, just starting to get involved. You might not have the gift of teaching, but you have something to offer. Something of life experience. Something that you can begin to impart to another generation. And you start to make a difference. So Father, we just open our hearts again to you. Lord, this prophecy, the last prophecy before the New Testament, that the message of Elijah, and the Elijah message is there needs to be an Elisha. And that, God, there would be the impartation of spiritual moms and dads to sons and daughters. And there's going to be sons and daughters who don't want it. There's going to be sons and daughters who are going to run from it. They refuse it. There's not a lot we can do about that. But there are sons and daughters that are looking, looking to be discipled. Who long for someone to invest in them, to take personal notice in them. God, I pray, there's, there's, there's a group of people here. There's men and women, even teenagers here, who, God, you're raising up to be disciples, who right here have something to offer in a greater way. And I know some are doing, some are doing this. They, have already, they, they can say amen to what's being said of the power of what it is to invest in other generations. Lord, as we even testified here earlier, and I think probably half the hands went up that said, we are where we are today because someone took the time, or people took the time, some people took the time to take special interest in me spiritually and father and mother me. So God, stir that up, I pray. Fan that into flame, I pray. God, begin to reposition the logs so that, God, we can truly be effective in another generation. God, my prayer is not one will be lost, 
My prayer is not one generation will wander from you. My prayer is that, God, there would be a new generation. And I'm not talking about age, but that in those in the faith will be stronger in the faith, will, be, will have increase in their lives. And so, God, just pray. Speak to our hearts. So I'm just going to pause here. as we Just if your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm just going to ask you to talk to the Lord for a minute and ask him what he would have you to do. I believe God is going to be and is speaking to hearts saying, do it. You need to be a discipler. You need to be a spiritual mom and dad. And it has nothing to do with age. It has to do with, do you have something of the faith to give someone else? Have you learned some basic lessons that you can impart to another generation and begin a growth journey with them? I believe God is speaking to hearts here. We want to give a moment to, for, for that to happen. And secondly, there are those who are also... The Lord is wanting to speak, saying, you need to come under sonship. You need to come under daughtership. You need to come under, and you need to allow the flesh to be peeled back because you cannot be blessed if you try to live with the anointing, the garment, and the flesh at the same time. So let's just pause. And would you just talk to the Lord, congregation, and those online, just for one minute, just pause and talk to the Lord. God, what do you want of me? Father, we pray that as there is a measure of receptivity here, that, Lord, we will be doers of the word. We will seek for opportunities to fulfill what you are asking of us. And, Lord, to you be all the glory. You're the head. You're all the glory is yours. Lord, our hearts are after you. And so, God, we thank you that we have so great, so great a salvation in the Lordship of our God. We worship you this day. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.